You are listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-List online. My name's Andrew Mackay-Smith. Welcome to the show. The interview subject prepared for you on this episode is James Norbert Ivani, one of my favourite guitarists of all time, I must say. That's happened rather quickly, courtesy of his new album for 2020. It's out now. Omen Faustum is the name of it. So here he is, James Norbert Ivani. Let's have a listen to what he has to say about this killer album, Omen Faustum. Let's go. I spoke to Pliny yesterday and I mentioned oh, you. Oh, that's how, awesome. He lives just uh, like down the road a few streets. He mentioned that and it was the, one of the points that I made at the end of our conversation that I, is that I just I find it very interesting that mm. two of not just Australia's but the world's most accomplished and interesting instrumental guitarists share the same postcode yet rarely bump into each other. He said that you guys just bumped into each other at NAM, which is 20,000 k's away from where you both live. <laughs> Such as the busy lifestyle that you both lead. But I, I just find that fascinating yeah. that, no, I, this isn't the, you know, I am a patriotic bloke, but this isn't any patriotic fervor here. I just find it so interesting that, that you both share the same postcode. You're both Australian and you're both yeah. making music that is the envy of the world at the moment. Because I, I feel listening to both of you, as I've done a lot of over the last couple of weeks, Mm. You know, there's something almost intrinsically and uniquely Australian about what you guys are doing because I'm just not hearing what you guys do anywhere else in the world. Oh, that's that's awesome, man. Thank you. That's uh, I, yeah, a, a very lovely compliment. And um, no worries. Yeah, it, it is just one of those funny things. Like, I mean, we we talk, you know, often, uh, you know, via you know the phone and stuff. We and it's we're in the same areas like daily and we, we usually joke around about how how is it that we haven't just like run into each other daily kind of thing um but yeah so yeah we see each other in the u.s um uh, and never here which is totally bizarre <laughs> well sydney's a big place we know and i know i was born in sydney actually so i know all about it my mother still lives down there um oh, cool. every time i go back i've been out of there uh, quite a long time time now and every time i go back that place just expands it becomes busier <laughs> so I, I i don't know how you for starters being a musician i know it's changed a lot now actually i started this podcast four years ago and uh-huh. mate i have to tell you i hardly spoke to anybody from sydney and that wasn't that i didn't have my feelers out there and didn't want to speak to people mm. i think the first band i spoke to was um uh, like a rock band called lily or something like that i think they're called anyway but oh, yeah 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 i have heard of them yeah but I, I notice these days, because to me, Sydney is uh, ACDC in excess. Yeah. Um, you know, even, I know Silverchair and Newcastle, but, you know, it's close by. It's that, that vicinity. You know, yeah. it, it, I know Melbourne likes to think of itself as the music capital of Australia mm-hmm. because the industry certainly might be down there. But I've always felt that some of the most fervent talent makes its way through uh, through Sydney. And I think you guys are just, just sort of part of that, you know, and... And I'll talk about this album here of yours because it, it, I'd heard of you because I interviewed Pliny about three years ago or so, and I noticed that you were on a tour with him. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. I think that was but his I, first tour ever, I think. Yeah. I think you're right. Yeah. And, and I thought, I better check this guy out. But just with the nature of the beast, things go quickly. And, you know, you're with you. Chris is doing your PR these days. So Chris sent through some mm. stuff only recently. And, Right. I got it, and I thought, oh, I'd always been wanting to check you out. And I got it on, and it was one of those, 
why haven't I been listening to you for a long time now? Because I went back and checked out all of your other stuff, and I'm enamoured with it, as you can tell. You know, sorry to piss in your pocket so much, but, you know, when I like <laughs> listening to an artist's material, I just I have to give you that feedback because it is sincere, it is genuine, and I know how difficult it is crafting a career, performing and playing music. You've got to watch every penny, and there's a lot of sharks out there in the business that try to bullshit you and lie to you about what they think that they can do for you and stuff. And ultimately, the strength of your music is so... Your, your music is so strong, it's just standalone, and people will find it regardless, but you still got to pay the rent and put food on the table and all the rest of it. But, you know, my broader point here is the thing that I love about your playing very specifically, man, is that mm. you've got some front fucking groove going on, and I love that, okay? <laughs> and uh, a lot of your material also sounds like it could be soundtrack music because it's it's incredibly evocative and it's extremely visual. And, you know, mm. on, on this album, Omen Faustum, I reckon I listen to it for a week straight every morning. I get up at about 5, 5.30 to get the kids organised for school and put it on top of my iPhone, you know, on top of the water cooler. And um, it just plays. And and the kids are always a good judge of things because I listen to a lot of pretty heavy stuff and they hate that. But, man, they let me listen to you as much as I wanted to. So you've got to take, uh, <laughs> got to take uh, oh, you yes. know, Maybe, a compliment. Uh... <laughs> the venerable child test passed it excellent passed it indeed and sometimes that's <laughs> the only time i get to because i'm writing a couple of books and that's sometimes the only time i get to listen to music is very early in the morning before my mind starts thinking about my author stuff but look at you i've said a lot in there i appreciate that so thanks for listening to me give you all that feedback but look have you have you received a lot of feedback similar to mine because i hope you have because i think what you've done here with the album truly is a remarkable statement Thank you. Um, yeah, I really appreciate that. Uh, yeah, I, I have. Like, I've definitely detected a kind of overwhelmingly positive response, which has been really nice. Um, you know, and it kind of performed bigger and better than all of my previous work. So all of those good things kind of came together, and and uh, yeah, I'm really proud of it. And uh, it's been an overwhelmingly kind of just joyous experience. And um, you know, also an interesting one, releasing it this year, like a lot of other artists who are kind of used to the release and tool model to some extent. I'm kind of used to that as well. Um, but yeah, on the whole, it's just, it's been great. Really, really good reception. Um, really thrilled. Who did you decide to work with? So you mentioned you got your bassist there, but I'm a bass player. I play guitar too, but my stage instrument is bass. Or guitar too, but always choice will always be bass. Um, but uh, the percussion's outstanding, man. I, I listened to it with these AirPods, and man, you've got the balance just perfect with it. Did Did you write the percussion pieces on a on whatever you know app that you might use, and then just give it to a, a really a great drummer that can, can interpret your stuff? Or how that? Well, it's a funny story. So I um I program all my own drums while I'm writing uh, and recording. Like all, all my stuff, including this record. Um, and that's really just so I can kind of generate a more complete image of what it's going to sound like at the end. And once I'm finished with the record, as has been the case since 2015, since about the Matter Circumvention, hmm. uh, I just send the album without any of my drum, like program drum stuff on it to David Horgan, who has done the drums on my record since 2015. Um, and so he never hears anything that I do, which is pretty interesting. Um, and we've just worked together so long. We go back to a previous band that I, that I did called Paradigm. Um, and so when I 
left that group to start doing a solo guitar kind of thing, he mm-hmm. essentially came along with me and, and kept working on music together. He doesn't tour with me because he um, is a doctor now and, and has young kids and just kind of doesn't have time to do that stuff, but makes the time to still uh, do the records with me. So, uh, yeah. so yeah, the drums, uh, all, all credit to David Horgan, who is also um, an incredible audio kind of engineer as well. So he really kind of handles most of the stuff on the drum side, including a lot of the mixing and balancing, and we kind of work together at the end to get everything right. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, so he is Liam Horgan's brother, who is my live, ba- uh, live bass player and also contributed some bass stuff to the record as well. Mm-hmm. So they're just kind of like the power brother team, which is awesome. Nice. The, yeah, uh, Bo Golden contributed some stuff to the opening track called Psycholoot, and um, he, he's amazing. Speaking of... Uh, Silverchair, he, he plays keys or M musically directs with Daniel Johns these days, I believe. So, um, yeah, he's, he's awesome and, and managed to make some time to do some stuff as well. Um, but yeah, as, as is kind of usual, I just kind of did everything else. Mm, yeah, well, it's always that, that quandary, I think, about bringing people in. Well, I, I anticipate it was probably early on for you that understood what you were trying to achieve. And then when you get to a point when you trust them and you've got people that understand what you're trying to do as you progress as well, not just what you were doing, you hold yeah. on to them, don't you? So it sounds like you've got a great team around you. Definitely. Definitely. I mean, you know, as far as my solo albums are concerned, I've, yeah, I've kind of been working with the same people for a while. And I think we've all pushed each other and, and grown. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's, it's a pretty special thing when you have that. And when you're writing material, because to me, the finished product sounds like a musical puzzle, because it does mm. take a few listens for everything to sync, actually more than a few listens, it's got to say. I've, I feel like I've just touched a surface with Omen Faustin, but all the best albums are like that. They stay with you, and they keep you engaged, and they keep on rewarding uh, through, mm. through multiple listens. So when you're writing material, do, do you have... Is there any outcome in mind, or do you just sort of channel whatever is in the ether and just hope it sort of comes through on your guitar? So, yeah, the, the opposite of that. So I actually kind of um, I spend lots of time thinking and imagining how everything will be well well in advance. Um, so I kind of adopt uh, what I call the linear writing method. So if my intention is to write something, I always try to imagine the very first part of the song, so the intro, if you will. I don't tend to write riffs and then build songs around riffs or anything like that. Mm. I um, I really just try to get uh, something really clearly built up, the image of whatever the musical idea is in my mind first, and then the challenge is to try and be faithful to that when actually putting it into Pro Tools or bringing it to life, if you will. Mm-hmm. Uh, and from that point... You know, once I have some musical information, I'll kind of stop and just listen to that for a day or so. And the next thing will always be like kind of hidden in, in that first thing you did. Like it, I just let the song go where it wants to go. I just um, kind of write everything out in my mind. So it's a process of sitting down, trying to bring the thing to life um, as truthfully to how I imagined it, and then spending it so listening to that and either making revisions or, um, 
you know, dreaming up the next bit, trying to get a nice clear mental image of it before starting to do it. Trying to get a nice clear mental image. I get you. Okay, so it's a, you're a born guitarist, so you're someone who's put on this earth to play guitar. You can tell that just listening to you. Do you, do well, you that's, that- that's, that's funny that you say that because I, um, I, I, to this day, still feel like a pretend guitar player because I actually started playing drums first. And, uh, you know, so yeah. deep down inside, I, I still feel like, or I still wish I was a drummer, but, um, yeah, I ended up picking the guitar up in kind of late high school. And, Is that and right? I mean, yeah. high school? Yeah. Yeah, I, kind of, I guess kind of late by, like, when people discover guitar standards. Yeah, I think I was, you know, maybe 17 or 18 years old when I first picked it up. That is late, especially for what you've managed to achieve to this date. I mean, that means... Not assuming your age, but you've probably not been playing it longer than a decade then. Oh, yeah. Well, I am 84 years old, so it's been a while, you know. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, um, but you know what I'm saying? Most people pick it up when they're um, maybe not kids, but, you know, 10, 11, 12 sort of thing. That's when the interest usually bites. But it was, So you were playing drums at that age, were you? Yeah. Yeah, I was um, like my father was a drummer, and so I kind of caught the bug off you know, uh, his enthusiasm for the drums and I started playing drums and I guess I've always been really, really into music uh, more than anything else from a very young age. But so I guess that kind of plays into when, when I picked up the guitar, I was like, I was just straight in and forever in 24 seven. There was no kind of um, pushing and pulling period that I guess most young people kind of go through to see if it sticks. It just immediately stuck in kind of haven't done anything else since. So you're 17 or 18 when you picked it up. Mm. And as we both know, a career as a musician is literally, you know, I mean, it's it's sort of behind becoming an astronaut in terms of the likelihood of it actually happening. But you're, you're, <laughs> yep. you're doing it. So did you get a lot of encouragement when you decided you want to go to, to go down that pathway? Yeah, really luckily. Um, you know, I kind of grew up in a, in a semi-artistic, uh, household and my, my mother has always been really supportive um so like around the time that i picked up guitar was around the time of like you know a whole bunch of chaos was kind of happening in my young man life and um i, I treated guitar as an escape to that so i kind of kind of stopped going to school and there were signs that i was uh, really just uh, only going to just do music to escape from everything that was going on and to my mother's credit, she uh, she kind of saw that and immediately enrolled me into a music school, um, which you know, was the thing that made it stick because I met a lot of people there who felt the same way I did about music. And so I really normalized this idea of just want to be, you know, wanting to be a musician um, at a time where, you know, at that point in your life, you can go anywhere, you can do anything, you've got all kinds of pressures pulling you around. So that was good for me, just to kind of normalise that experience, and um, and yeah. So you know, I did music and bands and touring and writing records and all that stuff, all while maintaining various full-time jobs, only up until about five years ago. So about five years ago, I um, I left my last job and have been doing music full-time. So kind of a slow burn, I guess. Yeah. And, and do you find that there is greater interest in your music offshore 
the, within Australia? Has that been the thing that's allowed you to, say, become the professional musician you are today? I think I think it's pretty even. Like, there, I definitely had some lucky breaks um, along the way. One of them definitely being, you know, around 2014, I suppose. Yeah, maybe 2014. I got picked up by Sir Guitars, which is the company that uh, I still am playing, and uh, they they brought me out to the the US and we did some videos, and um, those videos uh, were really popular and exposed me to a lot of US people. and And then the following year, I came back and I played uh, at at one of their events that they were holding with some pretty big guitar names like Scott Henderson, who's a kind of a hero of mine, and Pete Thorne, and Andy Wood, and all those guys. Mm. And so that kind of just, I, I guess, exposed me to a lot of the U.S. market and the, the broader world. So I had some lucky breaks along the way, but I think the the love here in Australia has been just just as good, um, you know, really positive. And, and the scene here for instrumental guitar music is really amazing. Uh, all the tours that I've done here and, you know, all the shows that I've gone to in that kind of world have mm. just been incredible really enthusiastic with a lot of love for it here so i think we have a really good thing here I'm, i've certainly felt that here no i agree with you and, and it that became apparent to me when when i went to see animals as leaders in 2017 at the triffid here in brisbane and yeah. it was packed man it was i'm talking there's a couple of thousand people in there watching a band that so i'm 42 so i i my, my grounding years were the 90s when nobody cared really yeah, truly it's... about instrumental music and heavy metal it was literally like you yeah. could buy like cassette tapes and CDs for five bucks at Red Eye or up here at Skinny's or what have you. Out right, I remember many of Red Eye run back in the day. Mm. Yeah, I used to go there too a lot, and I remember picking up old Napalm Death albums at the same time I'd pick up uh, Satriani albums and Ingve. Ingve was always my champion, you know. I picked mm-hmm. up just about all of his albums secondhand. Uh, it, you know, it was it was a great time to get in uh, into music, especially when CDs back then there was of course no streaming services, but I, I agree with you, man. I think the way that it's been revitalised, and I don't, I don't know what it is, what has done it, but I'm just so grateful that it's happened because it's brought some um, academic rigor back to music. What you're doing, you understand what I mean? Like it actually challenges you as a listener. It's not sure. like I'm, I'm not peeping shit on Dave Grohl and Foo Fighters, but sometimes I don't understand some of these massive bands and how they become big because it sounds ordinary to me and it's not challenging. But I, I listen to your stuff and it's it feels like as though you are, I don't know, this is going to sound a bit off when I say this, but I feel like you're respecting the listener because you're challenging. Does that make sense? You're not actually leaving anything off the table. It's all there. And you're inviting the listener to come into your world and to figure out what you're trying to do. And that was what I was making my point earlier about it being like a, a puzzle because that's, that's why I find I have to listen to your music a lot of the time with headphones on to sort of hear the lovely, especially the, the bass dives that your bassist that you mentioned there is doing. It's a, on the five player five string too. And I can, you know, I can hear it and you only hear that stuff. And it's, but it's not just that he does that and that you want that in there. It's the placement of it. It mm. might be once or twice in a song that it comes in, but after a few listens, you get to, you get rewarded constantly by all these, you know, that term is Easter egg, I suppose, isn't it? Even though I don't, <laughs> you know, that, that Easter egg sort of thing. Sure, with I music do. so that's what that's what i find and I, and I think we've just sort of arrived at a point potentially where um mm. where listeners are uh now ready for people like yourself and Pliny and ready at a point where it's actually commercially viable which is the key point 
commercially yeah. viable for you guys to keep doing what you're doing. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I certainly never thought I would be in this uh, excellent position where I get to do this and it sustains, you know, a lifestyle that's good and all that and all of that. That certainly was never the end game and, you know, I never would have thought it would have worked out that way. Um, but I think particularly, let's just say in the last decade, that the instrumental guitar scene has just exploded. Um, mm particularly with, you know, the advent of the internet and connectivity and all of that stuff. It's just been really awesome. Um, when I put out my first record, I, I had no concept of the instrumental scene. I didn't know there was one. I wasn't really familiar with, um, you know, solo guitarists and that kind of thing. I was, like, right in the metal world. You know, that was my thing. I was playing in, you know, progressive tech metal bands. Um, so it was really cool to, you know, put out that record and then suddenly, you know, see that there was this whole scene that was really emerging and, um, mm. particularly over the last 10 years, it's just skyrocketed. It's gone insane. There's so many amazing solo guitarists doing, uh, amazing things. And, um, you know, I think what's more amazing is, you know, the musicality level. It's not just kind of shred guitar over tracks yeah. as, there's a lot of guitarists like really expressing themselves in just the most unbelievably musical ways, um, and that's that's awesome. You know, that, that, like like you pointed out, it, it, even regardless of how niche, and you know, my thing is incredibly niche because you know ultimately I do it for me. I'm trying to challenge myself with my own music. Um, so it's cool that you can do stuff that's incredibly small and and you know have a little slice of the audience out there, but it's still enough to sustain a career, which is just wonderful. Mm. Hey, so you mentioned earlier when you were a young fella that things weren't easier. God knows, I remember those days myself, 17, 18, 19, they were uh, probably the most challenging time that I think we all go through as young fellas, you know, but is there, yeah. what, what's been the most significant change that you feel like sharing uh, that you've had to sort of meet and overcome in order to become and, and be a full-time and a professional union? Oh, I mean, there's so many, like, you know, obviously I had a whole bunch of family stuff, like my father died when I was young and that was pretty hardcore. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just trying to do music when you're a young man in a world where, like, everything around you is shaping you to do something else, mm-hmm. you know, do something safe and secure, or yeah. you have pressures from friends and that kind of thing. Um, so there, there's lots of those challenges that, have presented themselves along the way, but music has always been the answer. It's always been the answer and the way through it for me. Um, and I guess that's still going to this day. Yeah, because your music manages to say a lot without actually saying anything at all, if you know what I'm saying, because obviously you don't have a vocalist, but you feel yeah. like when you listen to your stuff that you've received some information of some kind, like as if it's encoded into the music itself, it's in the binary code of the analog signal or whatever it might be. That's uh, well, analog if you got it on vinyl, of course. But you know, uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. it's, it's coming, it's coming through, and you feel like as though. And I do find that with with great instrumental music because I, in the, I, you saw the Instagram post, of course. But I compared you to the great Steve Kahn, who was mm. easily one of my fa- all-time favorite guitarists. You know, the New Yorkian guy, mm. and. He's one of those guys that can play sort of two or three notes and says more in the space of 30 seconds with those three notes than a shredder can do over half an hour. And, yeah. and But I think that comes down to this natural gift that you've got. 
and your ability to, to communicate through that. So that's what that's what I was saying earlier about you know you being a born guitarist and and I, I always it doesn't matter whether somebody becomes a guitarist or a painter as long as they're being creative and they're and they're expressing themselves because I, I make this point a lot on the podcast that mm. people like people like you and Pliny you inspire people to create and right now. Certainly in my lifetime, in my 42 years, there's never been a, a more important time for that to happen because so many distractions because of social media and American politics, we know, and of course, American politics and the ideas behind it tend to colonize our way of thinking. And then you get the, you know, the Twitter bullshit and all the rest of it and just the polarization and stuff. But there's voices like yours that seem to come through and remind everybody that, hang on a sec. You can be creatively expressive, and that's far more than bloody arguing over something that we've hardly got any skin in the game for, you know. And, and I think maybe that's that's probably another theory that I've got as to why people like yourself have managed to find an audience because people are fed up, man. They're fed mm -hmm. up with with the over politicisation of things and being told that their pieces are shit when they've done nothing wrong, or yeah. you know, all all of the language and stuff that we've now got to buy into. And I'll, I'll come out and say it: the 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 over the intense focus on political correctness that we've all got to live through at the moment and people i mean i can tell you not just how many musicians i've spoken to over 600 well over 600 at this point man the amount of times this comes up mm. being asked it's you know off the record don't include this man people are fucking sick of it yeah. you know and and i think music my broader point is music is allowing us and music that you're producing is a lightning rod for people to reconnect with their true selves in a lot of ways Oh, that's that's wonderful. I mean, if that's a byproduct of it, then that's that's amazing. Um, and you know, from where I sit, it's you know, I, I feel all of that as well. Of course, you know, the discourse is, is palpable and it's real, and you can feel it. In, you know, being alive today, I think anyone who's connected to the world in any any way can feel it. Um, for me, working on music is you know, it's kind of an escapism tool. It's um, it's a way of just tuning out the world and focusing, and um, you know. So hopefully that helps um, translate the sincerity of, of the music because yeah, everything. For example, on that new record, you know, I that, I just blocked out the world for three years and did nothing yeah. else except work on that and and fixate on every little detail. Um, so yeah, I know what you mean. You know, it, it is wonderful when you know out of the chaos comes a body of work that you know just really speaks to you on a deeper level, whether it be instrumental or anything else. I've you know I, I listen to a lot of stuff and I have those moments myself. It's it is excellent. Mm. So when this COVID stuff disappears, fingers crossed, that's within the next sort of six months. Where you know I know a lot of artists. Uh, Booking tours all sort of starting in November, December 2021, so 12 months away. Is that likely for yourself as well? That, or have you booked tours and shows already that sort of coincide with that period as well? Because we borders, of course, we have no idea when international borders. That is, we don't know when they're going to open up again. But man, mm. your your true ball pit must be, uh, and I've said this to plenty as well. So I've got to say it to both of you, the live arena. Because I'd love to watch you perform live, man. It's as soon as you come up here, man. I'll I'll make sure I'm in the audience, Gold Coast or Brisbane. I'll make sure that I'm there. But do you feel the same way that you need to come and watch you live in order to get the full visceral Evani experience? Sure. Yeah. I mean, it's definitely a part of it. Um, 
uh, yeah, but, but, you know, especially because the guys that I play with are just in their own right are just so incredible. So I think there's something in there for everyone. And mm-hmm. um, it's a very different thing live. Obviously, you play as a trio, it's very stripped back. It's kind of a different different thing altogether. Um, but, uh, yeah, I mean, I would certainly love to uh, tour on the new record. And, you know, I have been practicing being able to play all the stuff and so off the guys. So we're kind of in a semi ready state for when that green light goes on mm. um yeah i i personally don't know or have any good gut feeling on when that'll happen mm-hmm. i think there'll be a sweet spot in australia first which will be great i think there'll be lots and lots of all australian tours and aussie acts for quite some time which which i think will be great great for the whole australian thing and i'll certainly come out and, and do something when that happens um yeah, as far as yeah, international, like you pointed out, it, it's hard to know. I mean, s- skeptically, I can't imagine anything maybe happening till 2022, 23 kind of thing. It just seems really tricky with the way the world is all wired up at the moment. I agree. Um, yeah, I think it is that far out, yeah. Yeah, so I mean, you know, obviously, guys at my level, you know, touring internationally is good when it works, but it's always on a bit of a knife edge, kind of as it is anyway. So, you know, throwing the difficulty of potentially, you know, cancelled flights and COVID, it just all seems to be stressful. So, um, yeah, I kind of reached out to all of my people at the beginning of the year and just said, look, you know, don't consider me for, you know, tours and all that kind of stuff until things are like, you know, kind of in the clear, so to speak. And, you know, we'll touch base with things in the clear. Because I kept seeing, you know, other people, um, you know, booking tours that were just getting cancelled time and time again. And yeah. It didn't seem like a good idea to even kind of understand the idea. So, yeah, this, back to the point, as soon as that kind of Australian circuit opens up, I think that'll be a really good little sweet spot for Australian music. And I'll certainly come out and, and start doing some Australian shows at that time. Um, yeah. As far as international... Of course, cannot wait to, to get over and play over places, but like everyone else, only when the, when it's possible. Hmm. Have you got any touring when you when you just you're thinking about who you'd like to tour with the United States and Europe? Have you got any artists or bands that you love to see you, you guys yourself and your musicians team up with and go on say an eight week trek with? Oh man, that is um. That is a excellent question. Um, I mean, I have some kind of like bucket list people that I would like to tour with that I think would make for an interesting match. And, um, you know, of course, I could rattle off a bunch of solo guitar players that I think are awesome. And, um, and it would certainly be a guitarist's treat. But, you know, I, I would love to do uh, something with Tony McAlpine, which would be oh, awesome. Yeah, fantastic, dude. Be a great choice. Yeah, only because that, like, came a hair from happening in the U.S. before this whole thing went pear-shaped. Mm-hmm. So uh, that that would have been really good, but that didn't work out. Um, I would also love to do something with Scott Henderson, because I think his music, uh, I mean, certainly been a big inspiration on me, and and uh, he's just amazing. That would be a bit of a, you know, a mixed set, so to speak. Um, but, you know, yeah, like, a lot of the... Uh, the guitar guys, I'd love to do a run with Pliny, of course. That would be awesome. I think that would be really fun. Be like a good you know, 
contrast and kind of sound. That'd so. be a big tour, man. That one there. If you guys did all of the major regional scenes, you guys would, you know, I know, I know, it's it's dollars and cents that count in these sorts of things, man. But I truly believe that if you guys teamed up for a, a run and you hit places like Rocky, Townsville, Cairns, up here, me here on the Gold Coast, Sunshine Coast, and you played those venues that sort of, you know, 100, 150 or so, like Soul Bar there on Ocean Street at Maroochydore, man, you'd, you'd make bank. Plenty of people would come <laughs> out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that'd be awesome. I mean, I've seen it many times. It's just the sickest of the, the guys in his band. We're all buds. They're just the greatest. So I think it would be a good vibe and really fun. Um, you know, I don't know if you're familiar with Steven Taranto, Australian guitar player. No, I'm not. No, I'll definitely check him out, though, on your, your recommendation. That's for sure. Oh, man. I mean, yeah, he, he's one of the most um, technically and musically um, incredible guitar players going. He's another Sydney boy. Put out a record. I, I, I think it was this year or maybe the year before I think, uh, called Permanence. You should check that out. It's okay, just, I will. Um, so, you know, it would be great to get him out. Um, essentially where I'm going with this, it would be cool to put on some big, like, all-Australian guitar tour thing. Agreed. Yeah. We certainly got it. I mean, I, I talked to a lot of the Swedes about this sort of stuff. Um, so the guitarist, you know, Peth and, and uh, uh, Marcus Jadell from Avatarium. And I say, look, there's enough. I mean, I'm a massive fan of what Sweden as a country has done for heavy oh, yeah. metal. I mean, they basically were the were the epicenter of heavy metal's resurgence, courtesy mm -hmm. of Sweet Death and At The Gates, you know, Sweet Death being the movement, At The Gates, okay. In Flames. And I've spoken to all these guys, man, and they're all tremendous. And I've always said to those guys, you guys need to get together and, and honour what you guys have done, your legacy. And I think that's the same for you too, man. So I'd love to see that, you know, this um, guitarist you just mentioned, Stephen Taranto, is it, and um, uh, Pliny, yourself, two or three others, and, and just because it would be your music, it's in a similar quadrant, but it's also different enough to make it a very interesting night. Yeah, I mean, I, I think so. I think it would be really cool. Um, and another thing I would love to do is, and I was talking about this with a friend of mine just the other day, like I would love to you know, potentially do an Australian run and, and unearth other Australian guitar players out there because, I mean, it could just be my ignorance, but I'm not really, uh, I'm not really familiar with that many Aussie kind of solo guitar guys, like, um, and, and I'm sure that there's more out there. Um, like I know, obviously, the, the kind of, you know, bigger guys, like, like those guys I just mentioned, and, and uh, you know, Rode from I Built This Guy down in Melbourne, good friend of mine. I'm not familiar with anyone else. I mean, I'm sure there are others, and I would love to discover them and, and you know, see if they want to jump on and do some shows and all that. So the discovery part of it too would be a big motivator to see if we can help some, maybe some up and comers out or something like that. Yeah, yeah there's, man, there's there's a lot out there. Let me tell you, there's there's a bunch out there, but they lack something. Yeah. And I'm not Any. being critical when I say that. It's just that, so yourself and Pliny have this X factor. You're able, you're also, having spoken to you both now, I can tell you're down to earth. So you, you've probably got a handle on how to deal with people as well. A lot of these shred lords in their bedrooms that are playing all this gent stuff mixed in with Marty Freeman style shred material. Fantastic. Right. And they do these YouTube videos and they sound great. But when you ask them to recreate it live or even more to the point, fit in in a scenario and do what you just described at the beginning of our discussion with your bassist and your, and your percussionist. A lot of the time it doesn't happen. God help yeah. me, God help me, as, as you know me, I've been in, well, I've been in enough bands and as you know about being in bands, they're bloody hard to be in. 
There, oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> there's always somebody who, who's like the turd in the punch bowl. No matter how yes. good something's going on, there's always someone that seems to intent on uh, sabotaging it and ruining it for everybody else. And playing covers, where we get paid $200 a night, it still happens. And that's good money, by the way, for playing covers, two and 300 bucks a night. You know, and I've, you, you play out at Billa Wheeler or out in the middle of nowhere and your guitarist is an asshole, and you're like, can't we just have fun and have a dinner and then get on the piss afterwards? You know, <laughs> can't we just yeah. do that? But, that's true. Yeah. Everything you just described. Um, you know, it was the kind of the entire motivator for me to stop the whole band uh, yeah. format. Same thing. I'm just so frustrated with the slow progress of a band and, and, you know, trying to make it, if you will, is so difficult externally. And you're constantly battling these internal issues. And, and uh, that's why in the end I just was like, well, I'll just kind of do everything myself and then I'll, I only have myself to blame for anything. And, and it's... It's, it's an amazing format of doing it because I think, you know, progress can be quick. You can love my music all the time, but you can still enjoy the, the all the good stuff that the band um, and the setting brings. I mean, sure, I miss the weekly bro jams and, and all that stuff. Yeah. But, um, you know, yeah, you still get to go out and tour and love with the same guys when the time comes. And um, it's an interesting way of doing it. It might not be for everyone, but, you know, I think I've certainly found my. Uh, comfortable place with it as have a lot of other guys yeah I, sometimes uh, I, I look back on my formative years because I played bass first before I picked up the guitar and sure. I think I probably should have done it the other way around but I, I, I loved Mark King from Level 42 and John Deacon from Queen and Steve Harris right. from Iron Maiden those were my guys especially Mark King I mean that guy's just a monster and uh, I remember uh, on that track I don't know if you remember this track but Go West Don't Look Down and he, he oh. plays the bass on that. And as a kid in 1986, I distinctly remember hearing that for the first time and going, I want to do that. Yep, that was and it. That was it. That was the moment. It was literally the moment. He, he was not even in the video, which is like a pop video, very typical of 1986. But it's him on the track. And it's just the way he, he carries that groove as he does in every song that he ever plays on because he's Mark King and he's, in my yeah. opinion, about the best, you know. But... I often wonder if I'd heard someone like yourself back in those days when I was eight or nine years of age, whether I would have gone, no, I want to play the guitar instead. I mean, you're sort of drawn <laughs> to your instrument. But but my point, my broader point being in all of that is that that's the problem that I had, brother, coming through was that I had to form bands because being a bassist who can sing a little bit, I couldn't play the guitar to the standard I wanted in a band. Effectively, you can run your own band when you do that. As a bassist, I could only be you know, the group bloke who organised things, but if the singer or the other guitarist doesn't turn up, we're cactus. But sure. but if the, yeah. if I could sing and play guitar as well, if nobody else turned up, I could still entertain an audience. It'd be stressful, yeah. but you've still got all of the necessary components there to get the job done. And, and I think you've got that, so you could do that. And I think that was the big obstacle to me because I, I absolutely formed an opinion the same way you have through being in bands, and that's probably why I got out of being in originals bands. It was just way too difficult um, to to deal with the people side of things, not the musical side of things, but the personality side of things. And oh, and it just gives you the sh- yeah, it's always the same, and it's it doesn't matter where you are in the world because I've had this conversation hundreds of times. To be honest with you, you know, yeah. it doesn't matter whether you're in one of the biggest bands in Seattle like Soundgarden. This shit ha- happens, you know. Yeah. Um, where there's some, yeah, I'm just trying to think of, you know, Mike, I was listening to, I'm writing my book at the moment, which is a podcast memoir. 
because I want to go. I want to ghostwrite all these biographies of these wonderful musicians that nobody seems to want to write about, which is probably good for me because I want to write like Scott Gorham's biography from Thin Lizzy. Oh um, man, that's so cool. You know, and uh, Robin McCauley, who was Michael Schenker's singer. Uh, these sort of these are these are people that people just sort of don't like on a professional level are overlooking and. You know, I'm probably yeah. letting the cat out of the bag here now for whoever listens to this. But I mean, I've just graduated from uni, so I've got a got an internship, a placement starting at the state library. Congratulations, man! That is epic. Thanks, brother. Yeah, but that's that's, that's awesome. what I've been able to do. But I think my journey has taken me over here, you know, on this path. But it's still about music, and I think yeah. that's the point in all of this: is that as long as you got music at the centre of what you do, no matter what your creative vehicle is. You can actually realise it. You've just got to be smart about it and be prepared to sort of, you know, if you're on the ropes, learn how to take a few punches. And when when fate sort of gives you an opportunity to sort of get back up on top up again, you take that. And it doesn't matter whether you do what I did and became a writer or do what you've done, which is to become a extraordinary solo instrumentalist. So as a, the point being, people can hear what you've got to say or read what you've got to write. Yeah, sure. I mean, I, I know exactly what you mean. Um, like, I think... I think music chooses people. They don't really get to choose it. And, um, no, I agree. Yeah. You know, those ones that music has chosen, you know, there's a, there's a large luck element to those people colliding in life. You know, those people are kind of far and few. Um, and, uh, you know, there's, I think there's two types of musicians. There are those that, you know, the music chose them and they have to do it no matter what. Like, you know, it sounds like you, you included, you know, there's definitely easier things in life you can be doing, um, but you have to do it. You know? And then there are those that do it for all kinds of other reasons, like perhaps it brings them, you know, social circle or status or you know, ego or whatever. You know, when you end up working with those people, it's really challenging. You know? it's, you're just constantly fighting these personal kind of things, and that's what makes the, the interaction side pretty difficult. But yeah, you know, at the end of the day, if music chose you and you just have to do it, no matter what, you find a way. Mm -hmm. Sage words, brother. I, I absolutely agree with you, and I think that's that's been the case. You know, I, I worked in I worked for Telstra for many years. Just mm -hmm. in the background, had this dream of potentially doing something with music, but I, you know, had mortgages and things like that to pay for. But eventually, it got to a point where there was no other choice. I literally came to the T intersection, not just a fork in the road, but this way or that way. Mm -hmm. And uh, it was, it was. I can keep working myself into an early grave here in a job that I don't really. I worked my ass off. That's the truth. I didn't shirk a bloody day in that place. But holy shit, you give so much of yourself, you end up becoming a shell of who you are because you're not being who you're meant to be. And exactly to your point, I believe too. Music shows me, as no doubt music shows you, and you've got to, you've got to find an outlet for it. That it's as simple as that. And and a lot of the time that does mean retreating into your own thoughts and spending some time alone to figure it out. Mm. What you're willing, you know, because we're all sensitive musicians by their very nature are sensitive people. It's what it's what allows us to be creative. Sure. But it it also makes that personal interaction side of things so bloody frustrating because uh, you can still have the skills, but you get so emotionally attached to what you're trying to achieve. If someone's getting in the way of that, and in some cases, cases really fucking it up, like they're purposely fucking it up. You just think, what the hell is going on here? You know, but mate, we've each got a life path, haven't we? Uh, it's I'm just grateful. <laughs> So I figured it out sometime in my 40s and you figured it out a bit earlier from the looks of things. So I'm just yep. grateful that, that you've done what you do and given us this great catalogue of music. 
that you have given us and no doubt is coming up as well. Oh, I appreciate that, man. No, and I'm so stoked to hear that you've you know, arrived at that place yourself, man. I mean, it's never too late. And you, you know it just feels right, doesn't it? You know, you, 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 there's no way you choose that kind of, um, you know, you listen to what you're meant to be doing and you do it. You never regret it. So. Yeah, you just you just find this this thing comes over you, and you just feel totally comfortable within your own skin doing what you're doing. And you, you know, yeah. and, and I like what you said before that three years of just studious dedication—that's that academic approach that I was talking about. Nothing else, just focusing. That's actually what it takes. And we don't understand, but back in the day, like I, I, I'm not going to mention any books by name because I'll stuff it up. It's not that I'm being controversial or anything, but I just don't want to stuff it up. But some yeah. books were written over decades. Yeah. Because the, the, the writer was just trying to figure things out. Like Jordan Peterson's first book, he said he re- wrote over like many years, just trying to make oh. sure that he got every passage right. And that's actually what it takes. It's that studious yeah. dedication, you know, that, and you, you, it's actually what you've got to do. Otherwise, it, it doesn't, it's not, it's not the realized vision that I think it should be, you know. Yeah, I think, and then also, you know, in this kind of just happy meal reality you live in, I think mm. unless dedicate um, that much focus to something I don't really think it will have a chance of sticking you know what I mean like mm. just happy meals and consuming <laughs> it thrown out you know what I mean I understand um, yeah. so uh, yeah I mean that's what it takes you know it, it, it takes a lot, it's a lot of work it's really hard there's, there's no lies you know it was, it was really difficult to get for example, and that's just exactly the way I wanted it. I had to learn a lot about frustrations, like practice, like time. Um, and I think that's something a lot of guys maybe don't realize is that it takes a lot of work. That it does, and, and you're living proof of that. So, mate, look, I'll wrap things up. I just, uh, you can tell I'm a fan. Uh, I do like to fan out when I'm with an artist whose music I really enjoy. So, congratulations on, well, congratulations on everything that you've done. I, I you're one of those artists, though, that I know your best work is ahead of you. That's not to, to say that what you've done here isn't brilliant because it is on Omen Fauston, but I just know, man, that you're going to be doing this for the next... You're basically going to be doing this until the day that you step into the next dimension. And, oh, and, and I truly right. look forward to what, what, what you're going to come up with. And I just hope, mate, on the next release or the next tour cycle, we have another chat and we can sort of, uh, you know, I can, I can hear the progression from where you're at now to the next stuff. Wow, thank you, man. I... It's been such a pleasure in talking, and you know I appreciate the immense kind words. And uh, yeah, if I'm so lucky, hopefully I will be doing it uh, all the way to the grass. So yeah, that's the idea. You've been listening to the Scars and Guitars podcast series that syndicates for the A-list online, and my name is Andrew Mackay-Smith. That interview subject was none other than one of Australia's greatest guitarists, James Norbert Ivanyi. Thanks for listening. <laughs>